0: You have to be the person who gives all the guidance. You have to be the person who is able to move through and teach them how to repair while repairing with them when you've messed up. And and that is tremendously resource intensive and tiring and intense. And I mean, a lot of people talk about how polyamory can really dredge up all your, your stuff, you know, all of your insecurities, all the fears that you have about yourself. So can having children. You want to talk about contending with all of your childhood wounds. Have a child if you want to well, do that.
1: Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm
2: Jace. I'm Emily.
3: And I'm Dedeker.
2: We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
3: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you.
1: Fun! On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're back for another Q&A episode answering questions from our Patreon supporters. We're covering a ton of different topics today. Things like how to deal with a partner who struggles with honesty, whether it's ever okay to make life-changing decisions under the influence of NRE, Uh, And how much information is it okay to share with one partner about another partner? A lot of really nuanced questions. And this time, we are joined by Libby Sinback, host of the podcast Making Polyamory Work. Libby is a queer, polyamorous mom and a coach for people who want extraordinary relationships while choosing to live and love outside the status quo. She is certified in relational life therapy and has coached hundreds of people in breaking their unhelpful relationship patterns so that they can have happier, more nourishing love in their life. Libby believes love is why we're here and how we heal. Hmm. Welcome to the show, Libby. Thank you for joining us.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I want to dive in with that little gem
3: that you just kind of tossed in at the end of your bio. So, Tell us a little bit more about that, about this belief that love is why we're here and how we heal.
0: Oh, wow. You know, nobody's actually asked me that question. And I love (laughs) that you're asking me that question. Uh, How long do we have? (laughs) Um, So, no, I'll try to keep it short. Um, So, I'll start with the love is why we're here because they really are, they go together, but they're also separate ideas. I just believe that connection to other people is our birthright. I do believe it's what our brains are structured to do, like just like biologically. And I also think it's a big way in which we find meaning in our lives is through connection with other people, even people we don't like sometimes, you know? So mm. uh, I think sometimes finding the ability to love through difficulty is in and of itself a big and meaningful experience. And I mean, I'll say I really adopt like the Fred Rogers approach to the defining of love you know he says love or said he said love is a verb like struggle you know it's hmm. something that you do it's not just something that you feel and I really believe that's true and so you know I think that's what we're made for and I hate that what we all exist in I think isn't it many of us at least is in a very like anti-relational culture that makes it very hard to live into what we're made to do. And that goes to the healing part, which is, you know, when we're thrust into this very um, anti-relational culture, it damages us. And, uh, you know, I think we have this idea that when we find ourselves in a dysfunctional relationship or we notice we have dysfunctional patterns or we're struggling with our mental health or whatever we might be having a hard time with, that like what we need to do is take ourselves out of our relational landscape and go fix ourselves and then come back all healed. And that's when we are worthy of connection with other people. And I just think that's completely wrong. I think we heal through connection, not we get connection once we're healed. Mm. (laughs) And so I think that's what I mean when I say, you know, love is how we heal, one of the most healing experiences I think that a human being can have is to be in a relationship with someone and really fuck it up and fall down on their face and still be able to experience the worthiness of their humanness and the opportunity to repair and make it better and move through that to a better place. Yeah, that's so, it really turns
3: on its head that wisdom that we receive i mean there's all those aphorisms about you can't love somebody until you love yourself or you need to Mm. in between relationships you need to take that time away to work on yourself or to find yourself it's like
0: the polar opposite of that well i mean how do you even know who you are except in relationship to other people
3: hmm it's true
2: yeah well That's really lovely. I I also know you're a parent. You talked about that, or we talked about that in the opening. And we ourselves are not parents, but we get a lot of questions about parenting and polyamory. And I was interested if there's maybe one piece of advice about parenting and being polyamorous, like one wisdom thing that you've taken from being a parent while being polyamorous that you could share with us.
0: Sure. Uh, this doesn't really have to do anything with polyamory because I don't think that I don't actually think that parenting while polyamorous is all that different from parenting when not polyamorous. But the one place where I guess it does intersect is so my my advice is or my wisdom is children are whole people. <laughs> they are whole people. <laughs> uh, and they are whole people from the time they come into the world. And that part Again, our culture doesn't really uh, honor that and make room for that in the way we treat children culturally and the stories we tell about them. And because children are whole ass people, they require like all the care and all the respect and all of the like internal work that you would need to do to be with an adult with your child, except that they're not doing any of that work (laughs) Mm, (laughs) because they're just trying to like figure out how to be a person. And so you have to like do double for them. You have to be the person who holds all the boundaries. You have to be the person who gives all the guidance. You have to be the person who is able to move through and teach them how to repair while repairing with them when you've messed up. Mm. So, and, and that is tremendously resource intensive and tiring and intense. And I mean, a lot of people talk about how polyamory can really dredge up all your your stuff, you know, all of your insecurities, all the fears that you have about yourself. So can having children. Uh, you want to talk about contending with all of your childhood wounds? Have a child <laughs> if you want to wow. do that. <laughs> Gosh,
2: mm-hmm. I've never heard that said before, but that's a really good point. I Yeah, I, I feel like being an adult you tend to start understanding how much your parents must have gone through and how they're flawed individuals as well. But then oh, gosh, having a kid, oh my goodness. Yeah, y- you probably right. see yourself in that kid in some ways as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, because of that resource intensiveness, I think it's worth sort of like, you're going to be having to constantly balance your self-actualization and your need to be an effective and caring person for someone who needs someone that meets them more than 50% of the way, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you it, it is like having a whole nother, it's a relationship, like any relationship, it's a relationship. The things that make a good relationship with other adults make a good relationship with other kids, but then more.
3: <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. What an interesting way of putting it also, because I can see the problems that arise both with, you know, an adult who expects the child to come 50% of the way and also the adult that expects the child's not capable of coming any percent of the way Hmm. in that relationship, you know? Uh Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're super excited to have Libby joining us as we dive into some of these questions that we've gotten from our Patreon supporters. So, If you're interested in submitting a question for another Q and a episode, we've been trying to do these on a monthly month and a half ish basis or so definitely go to patreoncom slash multi-amory to get access to that. We got a ton of questions this time around enough that I'm actually saving some of these extras for us to come back to later, potentially in our next Q and a episode. So if we didn't cover your question, we may cover it later. Uh, or I'm also really sorry we may never cover it because we got a lot of questions this time around. Um, but yeah, be on the lookout for those Q&A posts if you're in our Patreon group. So this first question is short and sweet and I'm really curious to hear everybody's answers. Which Polly first slash new experience was way easier than you expected it to be?
2: The very first time that Jace met a person that I had recently slept with, and having the two of them meet, especially when this person, I don't think has ever been polyamorous in any way since, but knew that I was with Jace and we were at our home together and then happened to meet Jace in person. um, and, And he was really nervous about it and I was nervous about it as well. And then it just ended up being chill. It was like, whatever. (laughs) And and he even said, whoa, that that was not really an issue. That was just, yeah, here's this dude and he's nice. And we shook hands and went on our way and that was no problem. So uh, yet another example of so many things in your mind becoming much bigger than they actually are in real Mm -hmm. life. Well, I don't like to take it here, but
3: mine is about group sex because I know everyone's. I mean, we always on the show are like, "Oh, polyamory doesn't always mean group sex or orgies," but mine is about orgies (laughs)
2: because that (laughs) Um, was one for me. That That was that
3: like that was a situation where I was so anxious that I'm just going to hate this the entire time, and it was the specific piece. Yes, and it was the specific piece of watching. A partner have sex with someone else. I was just like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that's gonna be horrible. I'm gonna, I'm doing all this work leading up to it to in breathing techniques to find ways to like how am I gonna white knuckle my way through it. And then it was just like super hot and amazing and super exciting. <laughs> so, yeah. so like way, way easier than I thought that it was gonna
0: be. You know, it was never that hard until it was, actually. Like oh, I, yeah. I, I think all of it felt really easy to me, actually. But I guess the maybe the the easy thing that maybe I thought would be a little bit hard was to find someone who is willing to do that with me, you know?
2: Mm.
0: Uh, cause for a lot of my adult dating life and like in my twenties, I didn't, I, I, I was dating people who were very clearly monogamous and I knew that I was polyamorous, but I was like, but nobody's going to want to do that with me. <laughs> and then I, and then I met someone and we'd been together for like a little less than a year. And I said, you know, uh, I think maybe we should date other people. And, he was like, okay, <laughs> oh wow, just, just tell me about it and, uh, and we can talk about it. And here we are uh, 13 years later. <laughs> so. Wow.
1: I think mine actually was coming out to my mom, but mm-hmm. I was worried oh. that that was going to be like a tense conversation or, or awkward or, or something. And she really surprised me by being like, Oh, huh. I don't know. Gosh, I kind of wish I could do that. <laughs> and I was just like, what? That was not the answer that I expected. <laughs> and she, your you know, we've talked about it since then. She's like not, it's not something she's seriously interested in, but she like could get it and, you know, was able to to go there and be like, yeah, you're know, all right. I could see the appeal of that. So I think that was one that was a lot easier than I expected it to be.
3: To be fair though, I also have a hard time envisioning your mom being the kind of person who would just like fly off the handle and just like be no so like, angry no and offended. No, even no, if was that was just... how she
1: felt in her heart. I just anticipated awkwardness more in it, and okay, it wasn't. I can see that. so yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the next question. So this one's a little bit longer here to, to give it some context. My partner has a lot of past trauma about being completely honest upfront about what is going on in his dating life. In his past, he's tried being open about it and was met with anger and aggressive questioning. Because of this, and maybe some bad habit development, he will lie about things that we have agreed to share, or he will massively downplay something that's actually important until something happens that prevents him from being able to hide or downplay. He calls it a, quote, complicated relationship with the truth. I call it scary. Nevertheless, I want to help him start to heal and to be able to see our relationship as a safe place to tell the whole truth. What are some resources I can use? Thanks in advance.
3: I'd like to jump in here. Yeah. with this one. Yeah, because I see this as there's two sides to this, right? I see what are the things that are potentially in your partner's power to do and what are the things that are potentially in your power to do to affect change here. So I'll talk about the partner side of it first. And this is hard because this is like, I don't like to go to a place of like trying to give advice to a partner who's not the one who wrote the question to this podcast, right? So who knows if this person is even receptive to this or not. But maybe you're someone who can relate to this struggle with honesty. I definitely have had a really complicated relationship with honesty over the course of a lot of since my childhood, right? Like that's something that I've really had to proactively change and do a lot of work on. And I know a lot of people who can relate to this as well. Um So there are some actionable things provided that your partner recognizes, ooh, this is an issue that needs to change and we need to find ways to change this, including things like finding areas where it is easier to tell the truth, like finding the information that feels a little bit more neutral, finding the information that feels safer to disclose. Or really highlighting the moments where you felt like a little bit wobbly, but then your partner's response was really good. And so it felt okay. So it's kind of like finding where things are going right and leaning into that. But then something that I also recommend people to do is sometimes you need to find the right medium and setting to create honesty. And what I mean by that is like, if it's easier for you to sit down and like in a text message, write out all the things you need to disclose to your partner and that's the way that you disclose it's like asynchronous and maybe you're not even in the same room, but if that's what gets you to be honest or to have a better relationship with the honesty, like do that. If it's about sitting down and writing a letter and then you still talk to your partner face to face, but you like read from a letter, the stuff that you're like afraid to talk about, then do that. Um, And then the other piece of advice that I could think of is actually, I think Kathy Labriola in one of her books mentioned that, She first of all acknowledges that pretty much everyone who's been in a non-monogamous relationship has had the experience of feeling tempted to lie about something or feeling tempted to downplay something. Super common experience, not just people who are pathological liars or who have something to hide or who have a complicated relationship to the truth. And what she recommends, and I think this takes a lot of skill, is if you can catch yourself at that impulse and just kind of like like stop on a dime as it were. You know, like, catch yourself when you're feeling that knee-jerk reaction of, ooh, this is something that I want to downplay. Or sometimes if you even catch yourself right after the fact, after you've downplayed something. And this requires, like, a lot of vulnerability and the ability for the person on the listening end to be able to really catch that from you. But it is a really powerful way to start really forcing that relationship to honesty to change. So that's what I see on the partner side. I have some thoughts about the question asker side, but I wanted to hear from the rest of y'all, y'all, if you had anything to contribute there first.
0: Yeah, you know, I I actually really love your advice, Dedeker, for the the partner. Uh, and I think I would add one more thing, which is I would I would encourage that person to do some internal boundary work. And what I mean by internal boundary work is like understanding that when you tell the truth if the 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 response that the other partner has to the truth whether it be negative or positive whether it's difficult for them to hear or whether they're so happy you told them whatever that is has no relationship to whether it was right or wrong to have shared that thing you know and like one of my sort of mantras when I think about like when I mean internal boundaries, I mean my ability to take responsibility for what is mine and what belongs to me and what is within my psychological realm of of responsibility and what is my partner's like experience and their right to feel how they feel and experience what they experience and that I don't have any right to try to control that or to try to manipulate that or to try to get a good result. Like my job is to be with the truth with them and allow them to be in their own experience. And so like my mantra is it is loving to make my partner able to have their own experience to give them the room and the opportunity to have their own experience and like I think if you're able to kind of continually like shore yourself up like if I say something that is upsetting to my partner it doesn't mean I'm bad it doesn't mean I'm wrong it doesn't even if they flip out like even if they do like have a big reactive moment or they shut down or Whatever their experience is, it doesn't mean that if I was speaking the truth and I was speaking it from my heart and I was trying to be in my right relationship with them that that it was wrong for me to do that and I just think that takes that that also takes practice and skill to sort of be with yourself and like hold yourself in loving and warm regard and like i am I am allowed to do this, and I am allowed to maybe say something upsetting that might be scary because the truth is sometimes. Not telling the truth is scary, but sometimes when you tell the truth, it's scary (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we can't, it's not always going to be easy, you know? And so to, to tell somebody to try to make it easy. Yeah. I mean, I do want to grease the wheels for sure. And so I love all the ways that you're talking about, like, how can we grease the wheels and make it easier to tell the truth, but how can we also create safety within ourselves so that, you know, our partner can have whatever they feel. And that doesn't make us unsafe.
2: Yeah, I love that, Libby. I just want to acknowledge the other person's side of potentially feeling unsafe in some way to tell the full truth and whether or not that comes from feeling those things about this current partner or a past partnership. Something that I know for myself that I felt is I bring, you know, one partner into the next relationship in terms of like the feelings and the fears that I had with one, whether it be something, you know, from my youth or childhood, I might bring it into a new partnership and those bad habits perhaps of not telling a full truth or not really going there in terms of disclosing exactly what happened, um, in every situation, that that's something that I've absolutely done and it's because I was fearful of the outcome and I love that idea that regardless of that fear regardless of the fear that you may be hurting your partner or instilling within them an emotion you know not that you make your partner have any sort of emotion that is that is for them but that that possibility is there. I think the courage to allow that to happen is really important and impressive. And I appreciate that you said that. That's cool. So to take it back to the question
1: that this is tough because I feel like we've really focused on the person who's having trouble being honest. Mm -hmm. And I think there's actually something to that that is relevant to the question asker as well, which is that ultimately this does come down to your partner's work that they need to do. That yeah. said, that said, <laughs> yeah, uh, you I'm, know, So I guess, first of all, acknowledge that this is not a problem you can fix for them, but yes. assuming, <laughs> assuming that they are, you know, open to, uh, you know, to doing that work, there are some things I think could help to facilitate that. You know, one, like Dedeker mentioned, maybe trying other mediums for how you would communicate that information. But another one is, Maybe this, maybe people would take offense to this, but I, I'm just thinking of experience taking care of uh, pets who've had some kind of abuse in the past. Where you know, sometimes just going to pet them, they'll sort of recoil and they'll they'll mm-hmm. react to that because for them, that motion or something about your posture or something reminds them of something bad that happened. And so, if you think about that you know, with us humans, we have those similar kind of associations where uh, maybe I've been honest in the past about something that they even told me wouldn't upset them, but then it did, right? I was blindsided by this. I was surprised and I was hurt. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that was a a traumatic experience. Even if it's, you know, a lowercase t trauma, there's still some trauma there. That's upsetting. And over time, I'm going to build that association with, well, when I do this, without downplaying it, that's what I received. So then to go back to the dog metaphor, it's that thing of, well, what can you do to make that space feel safer for them and to get more exposure on the other side of this feeling okay, of this being fine. And so some thoughts that come to mind there would even be doing essentially practices of have them tell you something, maybe something that you already know now, maybe something that came out before that they couldn't hide anymore. And, you know, again, assuming that they're down to try this, have them tell you that thing again, as if it were the first time and for you to then model how you would accept that in a way that's okay. And then through a little bit of practice with that, maybe even try having them do that and you sharing, well, this is how I might respond if I wasn't comfortable with it, or like if it made me feel some kind of way, but that's not your fault, right? That just kind of helping to build some new experiences, cause just saying, stop being afraid of that is, that's a lot to do all at once if you have that association.
0: Yeah, well, and I I think that on, and I'm glad you said that about like, let's talk about the the person who asked the question, their side of it. I think it's so important to, you know, if, if the fear is like reactivity, right? If the fear is, if I tell you this thing, uh, I don't know how you're going to react and I don't know what the consequences are going to be for me, then the more you can like have some mindfulness about your reaction. And again, not to be dishonest about your reaction. Like, again, that's a place where this could go, right? Like you could feel pressure to like be okay with whatever they tell you. And if they tell you something upsetting, you don't want to lie about your feelings or feel like you can't show them because you just want to make sure you're always rewarding them for telling the truth. You know, that's, that's another form of dishonesty, right? But I think if you can, you know, and this kind of goes to what Dedeker said about just slowing down your impulse to whatever your reaction might've been. And if you can start with a thank you for telling me before you say anything else. And that can, even just that phrase, thank you for telling me can actually slow down your reactivity, whatever you, whatever other thing you might feel. And, and I think that it can be really useful to get clear on what it is about the reactivity that that person is fearing. Like, are they fearing, like the, the question asker said that this person seems to be fearing something that happened in a past relationship. I'm not totally buying that. I'm, I think there's other stuff that they might be fearing in the current relationship or in other past experiences that they've had. And I think it's useful to understand what that might be. Like, are they fearful that this is going to turn into a three-hour-long conversation? You know? Because that some some people, they don't want to tell the truth not because they're afraid of their partner's reaction, but just because they just don't want to get into it, (laughs) you know, they're protective Mm -hmm. of their energy and their time. And this might not be this particular situation with this particular partnership, but it's worth kind of understanding what is it about my reaction that makes you not want to tell me? And is there a way I can shift that with while remaining in my integrity of my own experience and my own feelings that can make that easier for us to be with that together? So like an example would be like, if it's, I don't want this to turn into a three hour long conversation. It could be an agreement that you make with each other of when I tell you something, I also get to say, and I don't want to talk about it more right now. Can we talk about it later? Can we mm-hmm. have time to like sit with it? And then can we revisit it in a day or two? Yeah. Love I that. love that suggestion. Definitely. Well, I think we covered that
3: one. Yeah. Let's <laughs> we covered that on. one. Oh, we solved the problem. Check the box. <laughs> <on. laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Uh, let's move on to the next question. Perfect. All right. This one says, you've said in many episodes that I've recently binged, don't make any major life decisions in the first year because of NRE. But what if you're forced to decide between two people after two months with one of them? Huh? My wife and I have been together for 17 years. We thought it, our relationship was doing pretty well when we opened up eight months ago, but then I made the rookie mistake of dating a friend who wasn't sure she could be polyamorous. Now she's chosen her health over the situation understandably, but we both still want to be together. Now that I'm forced to choose between them, it's impossible not to compare and notice ways in which my more recent partner and I seem more compatible. I feel fulfilled with her in at least three ways that I have not with my wife I know it will change after NRE wears off, but I suspect it, it could still be better for me in the long run. In short, couldn't the rule of not making big life decisions during NRE lead to miss opportunities in cases where you don't have the luxury of staying with the person for a year? Wow, so that's a I, lot to I, yeah, unpack.
3: Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. I just want to say, um, this could turn into me giving a two-hour TED Talk that's all about my deepest life regrets based on decisions I made in NRE. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to let someone else jump in and we'll see where we go.
0: I could take this one if you want me to take this
2: one. Please. Go for it.
0: So I have have a lot of mantras in my work. In fact, some of my clients say that there are Libyisms that they really want to like put on t-shirts it's really funny. <laughs> Ooh, I like Libya's. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, that's great.
0: Uh one of mine is urgency is not your friend.
2: Mm.
0: And so, you know, and and the thing is like NRE, I I mean, yeah, of course it it alters reality. It it definitely like you're you're pumped up on it and all of that. And one of the things it does is it does create this sense of urgency that actually isn't there. And I realize maybe it might feel like it's there in this particular situation because this person that this Person is interested in is um monogamous. It sounds like, and so there is this possibility that if they don't latch onto this particular partnership, that that person might find another partner and then be unavailable. And I think that's sort of the mindset. That's that's where that that's part of where that scarcity mindset of like it's now or never kind of feeling can come in, and then fueled by NRE, well, uh, you know, it can feel really like urgent. But I really, in my bones, and and I have like a lot of ex- life experience. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm not super old, but I'm <laughs> I've been around. You do have a, a lot of bones. <laughs> I <laughs> just uh-huh. know. My, I just have this deep, and and it really is kind of a maybe it's a spiritual thing, maybe it's. But I have this belief that like, if something's meant to happen, it's going to happen, and you don't have to like set off a bomb in your life in order for it to possibly happen. You can just like, you can breathe, you can slow down and take your time. If this person drifts away, but they're really this, they're really this amazing connection for you and you are for them. It's not going to be that easy to forget. And you can take time to really consider your priorities, what's important to you and allow those emotions to settle And again, I don't, I don't believe in hard and fast rules around everything. So like, I also believe that like, if this person really feels it and they really feel unsatisfied in their relationship and this just feels like the right thing to do, sure. Go for it. Like, who am I to tell you what to do? But I think there, you know, understand the cultural programming that also exists around, if you love someone, then it must happen (laughs) and uh, Mm -hmm. you must go for it and it must be fulfilled. And, you know, maybe not actually, like it's actually okay. If that opportunity is missed, maybe it actually wasn't really meant to be for you. Like maybe it wasn't really as great as you thought it was. I don't know. That's like that sounds I almost feel like that's a hot take but, <laughs> but that's my that's where I land on it I guess it's just like it it's ne- I've never regretted slowing down. I have never regretted I've never regretted that.
1: Yeah, and that goes back to just even taking a step back from all of this and taking out whatever we say about NRE and and all of that and just stepping back and looking at it from a decision making point of view in general, like if we're talking about just advice about decision making, if you have a situation where you have two choices and one of those is irreparable, there's no going back from it, and the other one is not necessarily uh, once I make this choice I can never go back from it, and you're not sure which one to make or you're in a circumstance where for some reason you can't make that decision, like you don't have enough information or in this case I don't know for sure that I can trust my own mind because I've got all of these chemicals and all this excitement that in this case just taking in the full context of it the choice is staying with the person you've been with for 17 years and not dating this other person right now that But like you said, if that person isn't snatched away and stays monogamous forever with someone else, then sure, maybe you missed out on that, but also maybe it wasn't meant to be. Or you go with this thing that's not really tried and tested. You don't really have a lot of evidence to support, but means getting a divorce or a separation or something that's not undoable in the same way. I would say that that decision is pretty simple there of which one's the I would say the wiser one to make. I don't want to say the right decision or the smarter decision even, but to me, at least that's the wiser decision to make. Another thing to consider here too, just to put a little more context based on the question, they've been married 17 years, opened up eight months ago.
2: They're babies. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I just, babies yeah, from, rough. A, from a,
1: from a, a, a polyamory point of view, but also just that I, I just want to point out that you have not experienced NRE in 17 yeah. years. And so you have oh, no concept yeah. of what it feels yeah. like. Good point. That's that's the thing I wanted to get to. I know M, you yeah. had some stuff you wanted to add
2: too. No, just, yeah, I, I I love that. But in the first part of your polyamorous journey, it's tough. I mean, for a lot of people, it's extremely tough. And sometimes... That means, you know, you realize you're not right for each other, that the relationship isn't right for each other, maybe in that form or something. But there's also the potential that if you do stick with it, you'll find this way of being in relationship is actually really great for you and actually works. But it sounds like if this person decides to be with the the newer human, then that is, you know, the newer relationship than That will totally explode this other relationship that's been existing for 17 years. And And I don't know.
1: Monogamy, which it seems like you chose not to do just exactly
2: that, too. And I can't, I just from experience, I've had multiple times where in the midst of NRE, I've wanted to move in very quickly with someone, and they both times were like, No, let's wait. And I am so glad that they pumped the brakes and that I. You know, was okay with it ultimately, because both of those times I got to like live by myself, I got to really do some own some of my own self work, and it was excellent and just just don't don't sign anything in the first year. Don't blow up your life <laughs> in the first year, really, truly. Maybe a year and a half, two years. I don't know it I know people get married after three months and stuff like that, and sometimes it works, but my goodness, I, I couldn't do it, no way.
0: I I guess I would just like wrap that up by saying at the same time, you know, one of the things that the question asker said was there are all these vectors of compatibility that they've just discovered in this new relationship. And I guess I want to honor what that can feel like, especially if you have been without that vector of compatibility for 17 years is it can feel like, you know, water when you've been thirsty for a really, really long time. And it can be feel so nourishing. And again, if you're coming from this background of the scarcity mindset of relationships and that this might be the only person who ever feels this way about me, who I feel this way about, who has this vector of compatibility with me, I've got to get it now. Like I can, I can understand that feeling, especially if, if that's a part of you that has been undernourished and what an opportunity to like be really awake to that and hold it without making a decision around it is what I would say, you know? That's great. I love that. Yeah,
1: Yeah. yeah, enjoy it and realize now I see these things that maybe I'll be looking for in other relationships as well if I'm continuing to be non-monogamous. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, thank you all for answering that so beautifully so that I don't have to spend two hours taking a full inventory (laughs) of every single NRE regret that I had in Mm -hmm. my life because there's Mm -hmm. a lot. But what we are going to do is we're going to take a quick break before moving on to our next questions If you appreciate the show, it really does help us if you just take a minute to listen to our sponsors. It keeps this show going. It helps keep this show free instead of being behind a paywall. So go ahead, take a listen to our sponsors. If there's something that you're interested in, go and check them out.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey. (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection.
3: And we're back. We're rolling along with another Patreon supporter question. Okay, so this next one. How much is okay to share with one partner about another one? As in, how much or little is it okay to process feelings or discuss one of your partner's struggles with another partner? I'm currently struggling with feeling weird about my partner sharing a lot of personal information about what I'm currently going through with my metamors, even though my personal stuff is impacting my partner and our relationship. I personally feel uncomfortable with my partner sharing a lot about my personal stuff with my metamors, but I know that my partner getting outside support about our issues is helpful for them and ultimately us.
2: This is such an easy trap, in my opinion, to fall into, and I know like... I love the hot goss. I love to like talk through things with people (laughs) and especially, you know, about people that I'm with and all of those things. But I know that I myself have fallen into a trap of whenever I speak to another partner or my best friend or my mom about someone that I'm dating, it becomes that cycle of this is I'm only speaking about things that are upsetting or you know, it, it, it kind of leaves this bad taste in their mouth and it makes it seem like the relationship overall is in a worse place than it actually is. And I think if you can also be super clear about what it is that you are okay disclosing and not, and really try to abide and live by that. And if you are going to be speaking to someone else about something that is happening in your relationship, make that be like, a trusted friend, not a metamor or a therapist or a licensed professional. I'm so glad I have a therapist. And this was something that I didn't have for so long, but it's great because I can talk to that person about these things. They're an objective third party and not someone who's like, oh my God, so-and-so is terrible. And you know, it's continuing to place that idea in your other loved one's mind.
0: That's so interesting that that's how, where you stand. Cause I actually, I, I, I'm not like that at all. Mm. (laughs) Um, And it's not that like it's free reign. We just, the people in my relational ecosystem all talk about each other to each other. We're, we're very discreet and we're, but, but I do, I think that we actually had a conversation. One of my partners and I had a conversation about like, is it okay to talk about each other to each other? And how do we feel about that? And I think my partners are some of the wisest people that I know. And I actually trust them more than I would trust most professionals, honestly, to tell me the truth about myself, to tell me the truth about my relationships. And I also trust them, like I said, to be really discreet and to not stir up drama, you know? And, and so, I mean, it, it does come down to the relationship and the person and how they'd operate for sure. But I guess the way that I, the way that I advise people to operate is to, Have these conversations about information sharing and understand that, you know, as much as it is your story and your personal information, the person that's in relationship with you also has a story in there that they might want to be able to share with their partner, be able to receive like not necessarily advice or like them getting involved, but, but and and so that's, a, again, a boundary you might need to make with your other partners. Like, hey, I'm going to share this thing with you. I want support. Please don't involve yourself. <laughs> you know, please don't try mm-hmm. to tell me what to do. Please don't try to triangulate in any kind of way. This is just me like wanting you to hold space for me in this moment. You know, so the Triforce, right? You could use, yes, you know, <laughs> the, use your Triforce skills. But then the other thing would be, Ask your partner, like if there is something that's heavy that's weighing on you that you want to be able to talk to your other partners about, instead of just like not knowing whether that's going to happen or not or when, I always ask for consent. Like, hey, can I talk to my other partners about this, uh, this thing that that we're going through or that you're going through that I'm holding with you so that I can seek some outside support? And then they get to say yes or no. And I think that that gives them a greater sense of control and ownership over their story instead of just feeling like you're blind to whoever in whatever way and you have no idea. Because I think that's probably where a lot of the discomfort is, is around just like, I don't feel like I have any control and I don't know what's happening. So I think that having a consent-based way of operating really helps. And that's that's how I do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I super agree that you should have consent to be a part of that and just uh, communicate about if there is something that is being spoken about confidentially. It's like, hey, this is a thing that I want to be kept between us. Make that known, I guess. And yeah, I, I yeah. know that I myself have gotten in the past in bad habits of just blowing all over the place to a bunch of people and not being really direct and you know, it, when my partner comes to me about something, hey, is this a thing that you'd rather me not speak about? Or is this okay to talk about to another person? I guess, yeah, that's that's the thing. And and I really do like that objectivity, but I appreciate that you also want to hear what your partners have to say. That's a difference and that's okay.
1: Yeah. one One thing that I think is worth acknowledging with this sort of a question too is that I find with with a lot of different topics like you know boundaries or rules or or this one about what can you share that I feel like a lot of times people are looking for an answer like I want a <laughs> clear answer of this is the yeah. rule I'm good if I do this I'm bad if I don't or my partner is <laughs> good if they do this and they're mm-hmm. they're doing something wrong if they don't and <clears throat> it, w- I always try to to look at other situations that are analogous to this and see how we don't have Clear rules, and that doesn't mean no one ever gets hurt, but that understanding that there is some ebb and flow and some fluctuations there, and that it is kind of an ongoing negotiation, and there is no right answer that's going to solve this. Because the idea of, I will just always ask for consent, it's that thing of, is that You know, one is that reasonable in all situations where it's like, well, what's the line where what's the thing I do need to clear beforehand and what's not? Sometimes that might feel obvious, sometimes it might not. So there's a little bit of gray area in there. Uh, But then there's also that thing of, you know, maybe I'm really needing support for this. And if my partner's just like, no, you can't talk to anyone else about this thing that's going on that's almost like an isolating behavior that can be an abusive behavior, even if they don't mean Mm -hmm. it to be that, right? So so there's a lot of moving pieces to this. And so, so to go to the idea of looking at analogous situations, think about your friends or your family members. And it's that, say, you know, my friend is going through something and they're being a jerk lately, or maybe they're just going through something hard in general, and I'm trying to be there to support them. Hanging out with another friend... I might share that story with them maybe because I'm looking for some empathy. You know, maybe I just want to share. Maybe I just want to be able to talk to someone. Or maybe it's, oh, you're going through this thing. You know, I have another friend who's going through that too. And, you know, he's been having a hard time with it. You know, so I, I, I get it. I, I've seen this and, and like you're not alone.
2: Keep it vague though.
1: Well, well, I'm saying it depends. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe they know who that other friend is. Maybe they don't. Maybe you give a lot of details. Maybe you don't. But we all negotiate these sort of things constantly. We, you know, tell things to our, you know, spouse or partner about other people in our lives. And no one really questions that. But then if it's the other way around, suddenly it's this question. And so I guess I just want to point that out of it's there's a push and pull. And so like with Emily saying that, you know, she used to just blah all over everyone, to tell them anything she knew. Uh, that's something that as someone who is close with Emily, you would just sort of learn anything I tell Emily, <laughs> she might and not to be malicious or anything, but just she's just like an open book herself. And so she's going to want to share stuff. And so if I don't want that shared with her... I might want to clarify. Hey, actually, though, but don't talk about this thing. You know, I've, yeah. or if you do, keep yeah. it vague or something. Right? It's. Yeah. I just want to get clear that this isn't. Uh, there's a right way to do it. That this is always going to be a little bit of a push and pull, and a little bit of trying to feel out each situation.
0: Well, and a well, negotiation. Yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No. No. Totally. You.
3: You took the words right out of my mouth. That like. <laughs> it's likely that this is going to be kind of, we need to work together to find the middle path here. We need to negotiate mm-hmm. this, right? Ideally, this is a collaboration because this question asker is honest about feeling uncomfortable and also can acknowledge it's good for my partner and for our relationship to get outside support. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how do we together find some kind of compromise or something we could experiment with that helps to meet both of those needs, you know? Um, for myself this is just my own personal rubric. Maybe Libby, you would call this an internal boundary. I'm not sure, but I know my rubric because sometimes you forget to ask someone Oh, is it okay for me to talk about the fact that you have this health issue? That this other partner of mine has this health issue, and the two of you don't know that, but I know that. But maybe if I told you both, maybe then you would like become best friends and like find support around this health issue, so that you're not (laughs) complaining to me about it. Um, You know, like in my mind, I can concoct that um, great—I don't know—matchmaker health-related matchmaker scenario, but it may not work for everyone involved, and so. The rubric that I give myself when I haven't talked to people or I've forgotten to ask or there's something that's unresolved is I just ask myself, would I still say this to one partner if my other partner was also in the room with me? Hmm. Hmm. Or would I say this to my partner if I knew that my partner was then going to immediately turn around and text my partner who's not there to be like, oh, so I heard this. And like, would my other partner get pissed off if that happened? And that's like, of course, that's not going to cover your ass in all situations. But I'm like, before we've negotiated and before we've clarified, maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's a new topic. Maybe you're not sure. That's where I start to just try to keep it at least safe and at least limit the chances of stepping on anybody's toes. Um, that's where I start. But ultimately, yeah, I, I think in a negotiation and figuring this out
0: together. And I think your intention matters a lot, right? Like is your intention to externally process because that one, you know, Ugh,
3: yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. I mean,
0: you know, there's, there's, there's reasons to do it and there's reasons to like contain it, you know? And, uh, and I mean, I have seen, I mean, I don't think anybody here qualifies as this, but like, I've definitely seen people who just want to stir shit, you know, they just, mm-hmm. and that's what they do. And, and that, 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 that gossip as sort of like uh, trading information. But I, that's not what this sounds like is in this situation. But I think you do need to no. kind of check in with yourself. Like you said, Dedeker, and just like, what's my intent here? Is my intent to, you know, be loving and try to support the people that I love and get support for myself and be the best version of myself? Sure, you might fuck up sometimes. And like, like you said, Jace, like you might, yeah, anyway, you might fuck up. But like, that doesn't mean you, you were wrong. And if somebody didn't like it, you can just repair and do better next time. Mm.
1: Yeah. I I also think that uh, something else, just real quick, to bring it back to, again, from the point of view of the question asker, who's the Mm -hmm. one having stuff about them shared rather than doing the sharing, is to, to also, I guess, realize you can have these negotiations and that there's not one right answer. And it seems like you're on a great track already acknowledging the fact that this can be helpful for your partner to be able to share this. And also it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. That's a great place to start. Like I, I get it. I can see some of this. Hopefully that leads to a productive conversation. Uh, and, and, and just, I guess just that, that it seems like you're in a really good place to have this conversation. So I just want to say, you know, great job question asker. And yeah. you know, I hope that this negotiation goes well and just understand it's, it'll be an ongoing thing in all your relationships forever. So just, you know, continue to work on figuring out what that is for you and realize that it can change and adjust with each partner. And for our last listener question, this is actually a listener question specifically for Libby. And the question is, I would love to hear Libby talk about her ethical de-escalation guide, why she made it, how she's heard of people using it, what it recommends, etc.
0: Oh, um, I'm going to have to really discipline myself to not have this be two hours long. (laughs) I I, I will just say here for this listener, uh, if you are interested, uh, I do actually have a recorded two-hour workshop on this de-escalation. Oh, wow. protocol, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's, well, I call it a playbook. Uh, and um, that's available on my website and it's like 27 bucks. So, um, but that being said, I'll give you what I can uh, for free right now. It's totally cool. <laughs> yeah, you have
1: like <laughs> First five, t- five, t- five uh, minutes. Just <laughs> a little, little yeah. teaser. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, well, so briefly, the reason why I made it is because uh, I was part of a community of people who are all polyamorous and all really good friends of mine and I love them very dearly. And they would date each other and have these horrible breakups. And it mm. really, and and I was never involved in the breakup, but I felt like I was holding a lot of hands or being a, a shoulder to a lot of people. And I just kind of saw how destructive it was. And it felt very unnecessary to me how destructive it was. I felt like we're all in community together. We're going to remain in community together your ex might be dating your best friend who, you know? And so I was just kind of like, how could we do this in a more compassionate way that preserves everybody's sanity and honors the humanity of everybody and helps people remain in community together. And, maybe also selfishly, I didn't want to have to do so much emotional work with the people that I loved uh, for them being so sloppy about breaking up with each other. (laughs) So that was my initial intention. And I actually kind of crowdsourced a lot of data in amongst my friends and community members. I was like, how do you do this? And uh, is there any, have you figured out a better way? Because I can see how I would try to do a better way even, and I might, I might have my good intention, but then the other person wouldn't be able to do it with me, right? Because they wouldn't, they would have the template of, we break up, it blows up, that's just how we go. Uh, And so, and I also really thought about like, having been through multiple experiences with people and really seeing where is it actually really hard And I found that the hard part wasn't deciding to break up. People always think the hard part is deciding to break up, but the hard part is actually the aftermath of the breakup after it's happened. After you've made that decision and now you're living with the grief, you're living with the shame, you're living with with having to see that person, maybe seeing that person date someone else you know, et cetera. And, um, And so I created this playbook To help people not just to navigate the conversation of breaking up so that you could potentially have a better aftermath and then also negotiate the aftermath. Because I think people really had a lot of blind spots to the ways in which the aftermath of a breakup could really uh, prolong the pain and unnecessarily uh, create a lot more um, angst and um, stress on everybody. So that's the why. Um, hmm. And and that's also the content, I guess. The content of the playbook is really like, here's how you can do this. Things like, like I'll, I'll just give like a small example of something that's in the playbook, which is uh, negotiating how you're going to engage with each other on social media after the breakup. Hmm. So that it's not yeah. like you break up and then suddenly you're blocked and you don't know why. And now you're having to deal with the feelings around that. Instead, you tell the person, hey, like to help me, work through my feelings and so that I don't have to be constantly triggered by your existence right now. I'm going to block you for 30 days on social media and I'm not going to interact with you. And, and, you know, another thing I recommend is like 30 days, no contact minimum, uh, after a breakup. And that's not to punish anybody. It's, it's really just to allow an opportunity for things to just deescalate and settle because everything can just be so stirred up and so, so intense during that transition that, you know, you're going to be more easily activated, more easily in your reactive state, and then more likely to say things or do things that are not from your, like, wisest parts of yourself. And so it's kind of like you're protecting yourself and you're protecting the other person. And so that, you know, but as I said, it's like, it's a, it's a whole, (laughs) a whole, um, a whole two hour workshop and it's a whole multi-page playbook. You can get the playbook, I think for free on my website. uh, And um, although I think the link might not be very prominent and then you can get the workshop um, on my website too. But I I really actually, it's funny that this person asked this question because I'm so passionate about breakups being this thing. That's like not a big deal. And that's a thing that we can do together in a loving way. And I remember that, I'll just say this last thing. I remember like when I was crowdsourcing from people and asking like, how do you do breakups? How can we make this better? The, the One of the best pieces of advice I got from someone in my community that um, she does when she's in a transition, transitioning a relationship is she has a ritual around it with the person, if that's available, if that if they're up for that. So they like, they sing songs they uh write poetry they burn things they honor the relationship they talk about what they're gonna miss and what they really appreciate and the ways in which they've been changed by each other
1: Hmm. and
0: and then they say goodbye and i was just like that's amazing wow i want to break up right now just so i can do that (laughs) you know
2: (laughs) but not really (laughs) (laughs) yeah have you found That people use it also because when I hear the word de-escalation, I kind of think of what Jason and I did, which was just sort of de-escalate the romantic side of our relationship and move into a different form of what the relationship now is. We didn't have a chance to not talk for 30 days because we had to make this thing. This podcast. <laughs> this podcast we did yes. a lot for 30 days yeah, yeah exactly and and Dedeker as well so yeah all of that being the case but but do you find people using it to sort of transition to a new phase of whatever their relationship might be instead of just like we're broken up by we're done forever well,
0: yeah. And I mean, I think that's, I mean, every relationship, if you're going to not be persona non grata to each other is some kind of transition, right? And some kind of deescalation. And I mean, did you know, Emily, that you were definitely going to be friends with these people yes, during the process of, of transition? Okay. So like, I mean, but like, did you really?
2: <laughs> I I knew that I I I mean for all intents and purposes I was going to be making this podcast with them but also I I cared deeply about them and and we made it yeah. a priority from day yeah, one I know I know it so sounds yes. unbelievable
3: but, but it, it's Libby, true. Emily is like so
2: loyal Oh, God, I'm the most <laughs> fucking loyal person in the world. Like, it, so a fault, loyal. really, a really yeah. for bad things, too. I'll just be like, no, I'm staying with this person in some capacity forever. These two are one of the best decisions of my life, but... Mm,
0: that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But, I mean, Could you also crying. probably needed room to grieve and to, like, feel into what the new relationship would be and where the boundaries were and all of that. And during that p- part... Um, a lot of times people just don't talk about it, and people are like, "Just figure it out." And I just feel like that's so un- that's so stressful and unkind, and and m- make it more likely for things to be again just more exquisitely painful. And I imagine mm-hmm. that isn't what y'all did. You probably did a lot of like talking and negotiating and like setting boundaries and resetting boundaries. And it was still so painful, I- but yeah, of course yeah, it was. Definitely. of course it was. And you know. Uh, but yes, to, to answer your question, yes, I do think that that people use this playbook and they take what they take what works and, and throw out what doesn't. You know, there are people who want to de-escalate their relationship, but they want to continue to live together and co-parent, for example. Mm-hmm. And then there's no option for thirty days, no contact. Like you gotta figure out who's picking up the kids from school, you know?
1: <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. but
0: I think the 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 idea that I am still allowed to have space. I am still allowed to like say, hey, I don't want to talk right now. Or, hey, I want to unfollow you on social media, even though we're going to live in the same house. Like, I think the idea Mm -hmm. of giving yourself room to feel your feelings without them spilling out all over the relationship that you're trying to create anew is maybe the spirit of it, you know?
2: Of course. Yeah.
1: Even just having a guide of what are some of the questions to even ask it reminds me a yeah. little bit of the relationship anarchy smorgasbord that we've talked about before that it's part of what's so nice about it is just that it, it gives you prompts of what are some things to even think about do i want this in this relationship and to give you those prompts of what do i even what could i even think about what even are options of things we could do while de-escalating that i think we all probably would have benefited from that back then and and probably still will in the future now that it exists. So that's, that's a really cool resource.
0: Well, Um, and I'll, I'll just, I'll just say this last thing, which is, you know, I, because I think this is an important thing to say is that even in that transition where you were committed to staying connected to each other, even though you knew that you would remain in some kind of relationship together, the relationship you had was over. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and so even though like, and that's, I guess that's one of the intentions that I have. And I state this in the workshop is, you know, I want to reframe breaking up as not this one thing of we never speak to each other again, bye. And instead have it be like breakups happen all the time. Like, you know, you break up with an old version of yourself and you become a new version of yourself. And, you know, there is a need to honor the grief that comes with that and the loss that happens there and to give yourself really room to honor that part, as well as, you know, maybe you do have a commitment to moving forward and rebuilding something new. But I use this house metaphor where it's like, you built a house together and you loved living in that house and it was beautiful. And then it stopped working If you try to like stay living in that house, but change it from inside, it's going to fall apart around your ears. You really have to move out of the house. You have to tear it down. And then you're building something new. And maybe you use some of the building materials from the old house. Maybe you use some of the ideas or, you know, maybe there was this one room that you really want to recreate and keep in your house. Great. (laughs) But it's still a new house. The Mm -hmm. old one's gone.
2: Yeah. I well, think we Libby. made a pretty
3: badass house, honestly, yeah. with yeah. Really nice. resourceful. Yeah, we had a pretty great house. Pretty <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> I like the house it's that we house. built.
2: Continues evolving yeah. as well, Continues, which is always yeah. good. Yeah. Well, Libby, where can listeners find more of you and your work? And do you have anything besides your ethical de-escalation guide to plug or to talk about? Well, I have
0: a website, uh, LibbySinback.com. You can find out more about me, although I'm hoping to launch a new version of that soon. Uh, I do run a couple of programs over the course of um, a year. Uh, I do this thing called the Relational Non-Monogamy Circle, which is a 16-week group coaching program where I go really in-depth on a lot of the relational skills that are sort of the foundation of what I call relational non-monogamy. And... Then uh, we also do some group coaching together, too. It's it's a really lovely group experience and and, and also just really powerful. And um, I think the next one that I'm not actually sure when the next one I'm going to launch is. I was planning to launch it in September, but it is like September <laughs> and I still haven't <laughs> launched it. Uh, and that's um, but I have but I have a cohort running now and there will be a cohort running again. And uh, there are a few other things I'm going to be launching that I'm not fully ready to like talk about yet, but that are going to be coming down the pike. So I would say if you want to know about that stuff, whatever it is, whatever cool stuff I might be offering that's like, you know, a workshop or um, an intensive or uh, a group coaching thing or anything like that, you can just go to my website and sign up for my email list. I promise I don't spam people. I don't... I, I've, I I for a while was trying to get a newsletter out every week and that's not even within my uh, capacity most of the time but but <laughs> sometimes I get something out there but that's the best way to stay in the loop on what I'm doing uh, you can also follow me on social media and stuff too uh, and beyond that I mean I got my podcast so awesome so yeah, inspired
3: by the topic that we're ending on here we are going to post a question on our Instagram stories the week that this episode comes out we want to hear from y'all, what was your most positive experience de-escalating or breaking up? I'm really curious to hear those stories. Also, if you want to share your thoughts about this episode with other listeners, the best place to do that is the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can also post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Bavanetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Schoenwerke and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.